Welcome to the Coeur Adventist Podcast. Created, produced, and directed by the members of the Coeur Seventh-day Adventist Church. To connect. To grow. To grow. To worship. To reflect Jesus. Let's discover what we can do. Together. 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 Episode 1, An Easter Story. It's a beautiful sunny day and the marketplace is full of people. A crowd presses close to Jesus as he slowly moves from one person to the next. He speaks a kind word, holds a hand, provides a healing touch, and makes a child laugh. Judas and Philip stand back from the crowd and talk quietly to each other as they watch Jesus interacting with the people. So Philip, once again, a bunch of poor strangers are waiting to hear Jesus speak. I'm getting so tired of this. How much more does he have to teach them? When is he going to take charge? I mean, come on. When are we going to start seeing some reward for all this activity? Reward? Judas, what are you talking about? You can't put a price on what we've learned from the master. This is about God and his kingdom. Exactly. That's just it. For three years now, Jesus has dragged us around, healing, telling stories, and talking about the kingdom. After three years, it's fair to ask, when is he going to take over and use his power to rule? And of course, let us rule with him. No one gives up three years without getting something in return. Is that why you started following him? You were looking for power and money? A tangible reward? Judas, Jesus has given us more than that. We have been with the Son of God. Judas, you cannot deny his love and his compassion. You can see the love in his eyes when he looks at people, when he looks at us. Yes, but hold on. Love is not going to protect us from the wrath of the priest or the Sanhedrin. The leaders hate Jesus. They're probably plotting to kill him right now. If Jesus doesn't assert his power and authority, I'm not sure that following him is worth the risk. This has been hard on all of us, and we don't know the future, but with all we've learned and seen, I'm going to trust Jesus for whatever happens. As Judas and Philip continue their conversation, Jesus stands up and smiles at the crowd gathered around him. The people turn to him in anticipation. Look, Philip, I think he's finally ready to speak to the crowd. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, if he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, 
will not first sit down and take counsel whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks terms of peace. So therefore, no one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Salt is good, but even salt can lose its taste, and then what is it good for? It is useless, and it is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's never said anything like that before. No, he hasn't. Jesus finished speaking and quietly returned to the people to continue his work. A rabbi who had been listening from the edge of the crowd approaches Philip and Judas. I am Joseph of Arimathea. You are two of Jesus' disciples, right? Yes, sir. We follow the master. This is the Jesus who has performed many miracles in Galilee and attracted so many people with his words of wisdom. Now that I've heard him myself, I can understand why so many are drawn to him. I should very much like to meet him. Perhaps your master might be in the city of David during the Passover celebration. We could meet him then. Yes, I think Jesus will be in Jerusalem for Passover. I'm sure I can make the necessary arrangements. Thank you. I'm a member of the Sanhedrin. It will not be difficult to find me when you arrive in Jerusalem. Well, what do you think of that, Philip? Joseph of Arimathea is on the Sanhedrin. I think we finally got the attention of someone who recognizes Jesus in us and wants to be our friend. As Jesus plans his trip to Jerusalem, many people take notice. The Supreme Council of the people, called the Sanhedrin, are especially interested in his movements. In the large outer court of the temple, two Pharisees are deep in conversation. Gamaliel, I want to talk about Pilate. He has been governor of Judea for four years now. Roman authority is as oppressive today as it was when he first arrived. The people are restless, and now I hear talk about that Galilean rabbi whom some are calling the Messiah. I met him the first time he visited Jerusalem, almost three years ago. Yes, yes, of course. Brother Nicodemus, I share your concerns. Pilate is an annoyance. He's much too efficient in collecting Roman taxes, and there's no escaping the presence of Roman rule. And the talk about the Galilean rabbis equally annoying. Perhaps it's God's judgment on our nation that we should be tormented by Gentiles on one side and fake messiahs on the other side. Then, I presume you have heard talk of his coming to Jerusalem again. Perhaps if you could meet with him as I did, it would help us understand who he is. I've heard this, Nicodemus. Many of us still remember his first visit to the temple. You can almost see Caiaphas counting the coins he lost when the fanatic overturned the tables of the money changers. <laughs> And I think some of our brethren were terrified that it might happen again. Now, concerning the Galilean rabbi, I doubt you brought it up just to share the gospel of the day. There are many things I have heard from multiple witnesses that indicate this rabbi, Jesus, has fulfilled prophecies from our scriptures. For instance, 
Our tradition teaches that the Messiah will restore sight to the blind, make the lame walk, cleanse lepers, and raise the dead. The prophet Isaiah wrote of these matters as well. All these things Jesus has done. Well, the crowds have been swayed by tricks. It's happened before. It's happening again. Jesus did unusual things. The people have simply embellished the stories. That's all it is. There are too many witnesses, and the reports are too consistent to be embellished. Well, Nicodemus, I'll grant you this. Jesus of Nazareth has done impressive things. He may even be a prophet of the Almighty. But if he is the Messiah sent by God to restore the nation of Israel and be the king of the Jews, why is Pontius Pilate still governor of Judea? Why are we paying taxes to Rome? Someday this man will die, but the Romans will still be in charge. Trust me, my friend, these clever miracles and wise words are not the Messiah that we're looking for. Maybe we have been mistaken in our expectations. Maybe the restoration of Israel and the coming of our king is more than changing our earthly government. Maybe God has something better for us. And maybe others too. Those are dangerous words and thoughts, my friend. Be careful. Come, let's go to my house for refreshment. Less people as well. As Jesus and the disciples move closer to Jerusalem, people are getting more and more excited. The upcoming Passover celebration is a very important event that people look forward to all year long. There is a feeling in the air that something significant is going to happen. The disciples are excited to celebrate with Jesus and are pleased with all the attention he has been getting. Little do they know that this would be a Passover they will never forget. Mmm, these are pretty good figs. A woman back there gave them to us for free, <laughs> including the basket. I tell you, Philip, by the time we get to Jerusalem, the people are going to be giving us all kinds of things. Food, clothing, money. Now you're excited about going to Jerusalem? A week ago, you were ready to run away because you were afraid that following Jesus would get you arrested and killed. Nothing's changed, except that the Pharisees are even angrier at Jesus, and it's more dangerous. Let's just say that I weighed my options and decided that for now, staying was the better choice. Listen, I think Jesus is going to take over. When he does, we're going to be rewarded. Judas... Haven't you heard what the master's been teaching us? Don't you remember his parable about the sower and the seed that fell among the thorns? <sighs> He's told so many of those stories. You can't expect me to remember all of them. He explained this one to us. Remember, the seed is the word of God, the good news of his salvation that needs to be sown in a man's heart. In the parable, some of the seed fell among thorns, the thorns came up and choked it. Jesus said that the thorns were the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. Judas, can't you see that you're trying to get the thorns? Look, I understand that Jesus has to accommodate a large audience, and I believe he is the one who will restore Israel's glory. All I'm saying is that I want to get my reward for being a part of all of this from the beginning. The time has come for Jesus and his disciples to visit the temple. 
they enter into the large courtyard and survey the scene before them. Some people are obviously excited to see Jesus, but other people's looks are not so friendly. The inner temple is bustling with activity as the shopkeepers prepare for the people to arrive. Sarah, I'm telling you, I saw the Galilean rabbi leaving Jericho yesterday. He healed a blind man. Then he had a meal with Zacchaeus, you know, that strange tax collector. They say he raised Lazarus from his tomb. Boy, that is incredible. He's coming to Jerusalem for Passover. You should see the crowds gathered around him. And I don't mind adding that this could mean more customers in the market, too. Huh. You're an old fool, Jacob. Here we are on the eve of Israel's holiest of days, and all you can think about is business. <laughs> you think Rome cares about an old Jewish festival? Even Caiaphas is looking forward to making some money from all these pilgrims. Whether it's a shepherd from Emmaus or even a Galilean rabbi, why can't I make some money too? Well, it's a holy day, Jacob. Holy day or not, it's still business. Money gets what you need in life, not religion. Now listen, I hear customers in the sound of money. Waves of people begin to enter the court, and the buying and selling of wares begins. Jesus and his disciples begin slowly making their way through the people, animals, and shops. The excitement grows as people begin to recognize Jesus. Each one is secretly hoping he will stop at their store. It's him, it's him. I hope he has some money. Just think, Sarah, if he buys something from me, I can tell everybody that Jesus was my customer. Just think what it'll do for business, Sarah. Here he comes. As Jesus approaches the inner courts, he sees the assembled tables and the masses of merchants. His ears ring with clanging coins and the loud sounds of animals that vibrate off the temple walls. Slowly, the look on his face changes and he addresses the crowded courtyard. It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. To the surprise of everyone in the temple, Jesus moves closer to the money-changing table nearest him and flips it over. The coins fly in every direction, clanging loudly on the marble floors. Jesus continues from one table to the next. The merchants begin to run in every direction, tripping over animals and tables. This is madness, Philip. You don't win friends acting like this. What is he doing? What he did three years ago, Judas. He is cleansing the temple and restoring its holiness. In the middle of the noise and chaos, a leader of the Sanhedrin stomps over to Jesus. The man is clearly upset and begins to speak to him. Stop this immediately. How dare you challenge what the high priest has approved? What authority do you have? Can you at least give us a sign? Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. It took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days. Caiaphas must be informed about this madman, building a temple in three days. Who does he think he is, God? Isaac was very annoyed. These were not the answers he had expected. He had wanted to put Jesus in his place, but the answers Jesus had given were all very confusing to Isaac. So he decided he would try a different strategy. Jesus knew what he was talking about when it came to religious things, but maybe Isaac thought he could challenge him with a tricky question. 
He stepped forward to speak to Jesus again and tapped him on the shoulder. Uh, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. Okay, uh, I have one here. Whose face is on this? Caesar's? Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. The man of the Sanhedrin leaves in frustration and disgust at the answer Jesus gives him. Nicodemus, however, who has been observing from a distance with Joseph of Arimathea, begins to get excited. Of course, of course! Moses tells us that we are made in the image of God. His imprint is on us. The coin is Caesar's creation, but we are God's creation. Therefore, we must give God what is his. We must give God ourselves. We are important to God because we bear his image. This man is no mere prophet. In a chamber near the temple court, the Sanhedrin is gathered. They're all talking amongst themselves, but the group goes silent as their leader, Caiaphas, moves to the middle of the room. Your Excellency, we cannot continue to allow this Galilean rabbi to stir up the people. If Pilate thinks there's trouble, he will take it out on our city, and I don't mind adding that we will lose our share of the money from the Passover offering. Quiet. Quiet. Rabbi Gamaliel, you wish to speak? Thank you, Caiaphas. Brothers, let's remember that this man doesn't matter. Look at his followers, some fishermen, couple farmers, tax collector. They're nothing. He violates the Sabbath. He eats with tax collectors and lepers. He stirs up the people by calling us blind guides. He is challenging our leadership. He even claims to be the Messiah. So what? We've had other messiahs come and go. Ignore the madman and his pitiful followers. People in the countryside are claiming that he is performing miracles that only God could do. Some people are even claiming that he raised a man from a tomb after the man had been dead for four days. I doubt that actually happened, but it still concerns me. The people might believe this nonsense. Excuse me, brother. I, I saw it. I was there when Lazarus died. I saw his family put him in the tomb and I saw Jesus arrive four days later and called him from the grave. Jesus simply said, Lazarus, come forth. And he did, still wrapped in his grave clothes. Of course. So what you really saw was a man come out of a tomb disguised to look like a dead Lazarus. We must give Jesus and his followers credit for their careful planning. No, no, it really was Lazarus. Jesus raised him from the dead. Someone removed his face cloth. I saw his face. It was Lazarus. Ugh. Or someone who looked like him. Your Excellency, I think we have a gullible member in the Sanhedrin. Joseph, are you saying that Jesus is the Messiah? I, I think it, it is possible that Jesus is a prophet of God. Is he the Messiah? I don't know. Search the scriptures and see that no prophet comes from Galilee, let alone the Messiah. Okay, enough. Brother Gamaliel, I appreciate your insight. 
and under normal circumstances, I would concur. But I've heard too much about this Jesus to believe that he poses no threat to our nation. He is violating God's law, and he's leading the people astray. He must be stopped. But don't our laws allow a man to receive a hearing before he is condemned? Perhaps, if we could only bring Jesus here for an interview, we might clarify some misunderstandings. Nicodemus, Joseph, you can leave now. Nicodemus tries to speak, but no one can hear him above the angry shouts. The crowd rushes at him and pushes him outside, where he and Joseph of Arimathea are left standing alone. Inside the temple, the angry discussion continues without them. You fools! You do not realize that it is better for us all that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Brother Gamaliel, would you agree? Yes, I think that's a good idea. My brothers, we're in luck. I have been told that Pontius Pilate has agreed to hold an immediate hearing tomorrow morning concerning the threat to the security of our nation. Rabbi Isaac has been approached by one of Jesus' disciples who is willing to betray his master for the right price. Your Excellency, allow me to introduce Judas Iscariot. In a small upper room, Jesus and his disciples sit around a large table that is set for supper. Jesus looks around at his disciples and begins to speak. Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. It is one of the twelve, one who dips with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Surely not I, Rabbi. What you are about to do, do quickly. Hey, Judas, where are you going? Take, eat, this is my body. Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. At the same time, in another part of Jerusalem, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus discuss what happened earlier at the meeting of the Sanhedrin. Brother Nicodemus, what do you think? Is this Jesus a madman, another false messiah, or a prophet? I want to believe him, but others on the Sanhedrin call him dangerous. How could so many of them be wrong? Joseph, I talked to Jesus only two nights ago. I realize now that God loves us, not because we follow the law, but because we are his children. It is not who we are or what we do that connects us with him. It is only through our faith in him and by his grace that we can be called his children. This is truly a new teaching. It is only new because we never understood it before. Joseph, 
He walked me through the law, the writings, and the prophets, and showed me that this was always God's plan. If this is so, then this Jesus must be even greater than a prophet. He is the Son of Man. The Son of God. The Messiah. In a garden outside Jerusalem, Jesus enters with Peter, James, and John following behind him. Jesus turns and asks them to wait while he prays. He stumbles onto a stone nearby, falls to his knees, and with a heavy sigh begins to pray in earnest. After many hours of prayer, Jesus is exhausted. Then, with calm determination, he slowly rises and hears a large, angry crowd entering the garden. Jesus and the trembling disciples walk forward to meet them as the soldiers surround them. They see one of their own, Judas, leading the crowd and are surprised when he steps forward and gives Jesus a kiss on his cheek. Then the guards rush in and grab Jesus. The disciples are so scared that they run as fast as they can, leaving Jesus alone. And then he allows the soldiers and the angry crowd to lead him away. Pilate, the governor of Judea, sees Jesus and tries to pass him off to Herod, a local ruler. But Herod sends Jesus back to the courts of Pilate. Yes, what is it? My lord, Herod has sent the prisoner Jesus back to you. Don't I have enough to do already? I don't have time to deal with such trivialities. Jesus is from Galilee, which is Herod's jurisdiction. What reason does Herod give for sending the man back to me? Oh, I'm sorry, my lord. <sighs> Let's get it over with. Bring the prisoner here, summon his accusers. It's time to settle this. The centurion leaves Pilate and brings back Jesus, now in chains and badly beaten. Jesus stumbles into the room, barely able to stand. Pilate watches and observes him curiously from a distance. I was told that this was a sensitive security matter affecting this province and the empire. But I think it's simpler than that. Some people want you dead, and they want Rome to do the killing for them. They tell me you claim to be a king. Well, are you the king of the Jews? Are you saying this on your own? Or did others tell you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and priests delivered you to me. Questions are not your best defense. What have you really done? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So, you are a king? You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. And for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. <sighs> What's truth? Pilate turns away from Jesus and faces the angry crowd. You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. But having examined him, I find no guilt in him regarding the charges you made against him. 
I will therefore punish him and release him. Why? What evil has the man done? Take him and crucify him yourselves. I have found no guilt in him that requires the sentence of death. We have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Where are you from, Jesus? You refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you or to crucify you? You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. For a moment, Pilate stares at Jesus, frozen in thought. And once again, the crowd turns restless. If I give you the murderer of Barabbas, what should I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? Shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar! Why? What crime has he done? If you let this man go free, you are no friend of Caesar. This man claims to be a king. He is an enemy of Caesar. My lord, this is about to turn into a riot. The emperor will not be pleased. I will not jeopardize my career and my future for a Jewish rabbi. Enough! I release Barabbas. I condemn Jesus to the cross. Julius, you will supervise the execution. Jesus will be crucified this morning. On a hill outside Jerusalem, a large crowd is gathered. The crowd is loud and angry, and they press in close to see Jesus carrying his cross. Some throw stones, and others yell insults at him. He is led to the top of the hill, with the centurion Julius leading the procession. At the end of the road, the Roman soldiers and members of the Sanhedrin have gathered so they can make sure that the execution sentence is carried out. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. What an unusual thing for a condemned man to say. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the Chosen One. If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself! Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. It is finished! Surely this was a righteous man, the Son of God. As Jesus' head drops to his chest, he takes his last breath. A deadly silence falls over the crowd. A soldier steps forward and breaks the legs of the two thieves beside him, 
a second soldier jabs a spear in the side of Jesus to make sure he is dead. His mother and followers cry as the rain begins and the thunder rolls. Joseph and Nicodemus gently remove his body from the cross and carry it to the tomb. With heavy hearts, they roll the stone into place. Early the next morning, two former friends meet. One is Philip, a disciple of Jesus. The other is Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus for a bag of silver. Judas comes running out of the temple and bumps into Philip, spilling his coins in every direction. He is surprised to see Philip. Philip? Judas, I thought you'd be here. How could you have done it? I didn't think they'd condemn him. I didn't think he'd let them kill him. I was tired of waiting. Three years, Philip, three years. I, we couldn't let this opportunity slip away. He was our friend, our master, the Messiah. How could you betray him? And for what, a, a few coins? The approval of the high priest? Oh, Judas, what have you done? No more, no more, I can't stand it. How can you live with what you've done? I can't. I won't. This isn't where the story ends. The very next morning, two angels appear at the tomb in a blaze of glory. The ground shakes as they approach the tomb. The soldiers are so struck with fear that they fall to the ground as dead men. The angels step up to the entrance and roll away the stone. The tomb glows with heavenly light. Jesus is alive. The grave cannot hold him. His sacrifice for us is completed. Love has conquered the grave. Later, Philip trembled with excitement and could not believe what had happened. He was eager to know what it all meant. Can you believe it? It all happened just as he said. Believe it, my friend. Jesus always keeps his promises. What, what happens next? That's not the end, is it? The end? Oh no, my friend. Philip, this is only the beginning. Jesus sacrificed his life so that every person can have a new beginning. Sins are forgiven, and because of his gift of grace, the brokenness between God and man would be no more. He did all of this, gave his everything, because of his incredible, extravagant love for you. This special episode of the Coeur d'Alene Adventist podcast was created and produced by R.J. Henneberg. Our story was adapted and edited by Giselle Schultz with assistance from Joshua Wold. Local performances were recorded and directed by Jonathan Wold. Our voice actors included Chuck and Sue Anderson, Steve Hamstra, Michael Hay, Tony Henneberg, Dan Meidinger, Bill Meyerholtz, Nick Peterson, Kevin Schultz, Patty Schultz, Jonathan Wold, and Randy Wright. Special thanks to Caleb Johnson for audio setup and Trisha Hay for graphic design. 
Thank you for listening to this special episode of the Coeur d'Alene Adventist Podcast. For more information about our church, visit cdaadventist.org.